Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Esta Solar, one of the country's top experts on the subjects of domestic violence and sexual assault. She helped spearhead the Violence Against Women Act, which is marking its 25th anniversary, and founded Futures Without Violence, a nonprofit based in the Presidio. She has another big project ahead of her now, opening a museum dedicated to the subject and convincing people to come. Esther Solar, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here with you, Heather. So I know you are one of the country's preeminent experts and advocates for ending domestic violence. Can you tell me the backstory of how that subject came to interest you and how you made it your life's work? Well, I've been working on this for over 35 years. Um, I've always been an activist. I was an activist by the time I was in first grade. I grew up in a home where my parents took me to marches, and I heard Martin Luther King as a young person. So it was in my DNA. I was a civil rights activist. I was an anti-war um, activist, and um, I was proud to be part of the early part of the women's movement. Uh-huh. And what was your issue in first grade? The reading groups. Oh. <laughs> I, I felt like um, it was unfair that we got divided. Um, I happened not to be with my friend, and I, I went home and I talked to my parents about it, and they said, well, you should let everybody know about it. That was not probably the best action that it could have taken. On the other hand, uh, it all worked out. <laughs> um, I, I think what I learned in that, though, was uh, if you have something that you feel strongly about, speaking out is a good thing, and my parents supported it. Uh-huh. So. And so then when did you um, come to land on domestic violence? Well, I had a chance to work in the first Jerry Brown administration in the Department of Health and Human Services. And um, I got to work on a variety of projects. And what I was learning during that time was about women who were going into different programs um, about the issue of domestic violence, mm-hmm. that they were fleeing with their children and they were calling the police and they were going into emergency rooms and we were learning about it because they were showing up in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And we started talking to folks in the Department of Health and Human Services and thought it might be a really good idea to figure out what other kinds of services are needed and maybe we should start funding them. So it was during the Brown administration that we started funding community-based services that were then called shelters. Mm -hmm. They're temporary and transitional housing um, across the state of California. So that's how I got involved in it. And then um, when I 
I I lived in San Francisco. I was commuting to Sacramento, and I was part of a small coalition uh, of extraordinary women, Mm -hmm. women I think you might know, Mimi Silbert, who did Delancey Street, Uh Eva Patterson, who was a civil rights lawyer, is still a civil Mm -hmm. rights lawyer, and a woman who was on the Board of Supervisors. And we were meeting, and we called ourselves the Coalition for Justice for Women and Kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of what we were doing in, in the city was, what do we need? for women and kids who are fleeing these... Had the issue been pretty hidden before? It's totally Uh hidden. It Mm -hmm. was totally hidden. And it it remained hidden for many years thereafter as well. Um, But it was during that time and this big coalition of five of us, Mm -hmm. actually, um, and we'd like to call ourselves coalition because we wanted people to think that there were a whole lot of us working on this. We began to really create programs in the city. Um, And then we also had the opportunity to apply for a federal grant uh, to be part of what is the best way we should do this. And we wrote a grant. In fact, I wrote this grant. I stayed up for 48 hours. I'm not sure it was the best grant I ever wrote, Heather, (laughs) let me just say. But nonetheless, six months later, we get this wonderful phone call from the federal government saying San Francisco will be one of six cities to build the best programs in the nation. And so we were part of it. And I was at the time consulting and Mimi had a full-time job. Eva had a full-time job. And they looked at me and they said, why don't you do this? Um, so that, <laughs> that was how Futures Without Violence. That's started? how Futures Without Violence started. We were the Family Violence Prevention Fund um, at the time, uh, because of this federal grant. It was when Diane Feinstein was mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a desk in the closet in the DA's office, <laughs> and I had a chair at San Francisco General Hospital. Oh my goodness! And that's how we started. Wow. So, what was your day to day like, especially in the hospital? Well, it was um, working with the nurses and the doctors, uh, who were just absolutely wonderful, um, and helping people who um, called mm-hmm. were seriously hurt, mm-hmm. were hospitalized, and I got a chance to spend a lot of time with them. And what did you learn from talking to these women that you hadn't known? Well, I think the mo- the, the thing that I still remember is um, there's so many opportunities for us to help people before they're seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you listen to the story, they don't just wind up in the hospital or just call the police. Like for the first time. That's right. exactly mm-hmm. right. So w- what I've always wanted to do, and I still am deeply committed to it, is, yes, we need services for people who are in, who are hurting, who are fleeing. But let's figure out how to stop it before mm-hmm. it really gets that bad mm-hmm. or even stop it before it starts. And that's my passion. So were you finding that people might have noticed that their relatives or neighbors looked injured but didn't really do anything about it? I think early on, Mm -hmm. um, people basically looked away. Mm -hmm. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. And part of what we have done over the last 35 years is really give people roadmaps of how to have these conversations without being judgmental, Mm -hmm. how to have these conversations so that people get the help that they need, whether it's talking to somebody in the religious community or whether it's talking to a nurse or a physician or whether it's now calling a hotline because Mm -hmm. those resources are available. Right. And I know you were very instrumental in getting the Violence Against Women Act passed, and that's marking its 25th anniversary It is. Happy anniversary to the Violence Against Women Act. We have to get it out. We passed it in the House in the reauthorization. Now we have to get the Senate to take it out. 
Okay, it needs to be reauthorized currently. In the Senate, mm-hmm. yes. And is there any indication they wouldn't do that? Or, Well, um, let's just say here, um, for the record, uh, the House did an extraordinary job. We had bipartisan support for the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, and we think it's time that the Senate takes it up. Mm-hmm. But have they indicated that they won't? We're working on it, Heather. We're working on it <laughs> right now. We're working on it as we're we're sitting in this room. Um, what would be the counter argument against? I have no yeah. idea. I mean, and what's really important about the reauthorization that the House passed, it does a few things that are absolutely critical. And the, one of the most critical pieces is it closes the boyfriend loophole, mm-hmm. which means that um, if we close the boyfriend loophole, they won't be able to get guns, and we need to make sure that that happens. It also expands rights and social justice programs for Native people and for lesbian, uh, for LBG, LBG, Mm -hmm. T, T, Q (laughs) people as well, Uh um, as well as for young people. Um, So it's really, really an important uh, piece of legislation in its expanded form. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're hoping for. And every opportunity I get, it's really important. Our senators in California are obviously very supportive. Mm -hmm. What did the original act do um, back 25 years ago? Well, the original act did a couple of things. Uh, One is, just um, for context, the Violence Against Women Act was passed in in the 90s. The first piece of legislation that we actually had a chance to work on was in 1984. And that piece of legislation was called the Family Violence Prevention and Services Act. And that funds our community-based shelter programs and counseling programs. What the Violence Against Women Act did was it funded a whole host of programs. And in fact, it is one of the first, it's a, it's a piece of legislation that right now in California and across this and, and in San Francisco and, and across the country, it's critical services for for people who need help. Um, it it funds programs in the justice system, in victim services to for, provide advocacy within the justice system. It trains judges. Um, and in fact, the Family Violence Prevention Fund, now Futures Without Violence, has trained over 65% of all judges in the United States wow. on issues of domestic violence and sexual assault and child abuse. Mm-hmm. So it's a comp complex, comprehensive piece of legislation that basically funds programs in community Mm -hmm. to provide life-saving supports. Um, And so I'm really proud of that piece of legislation. So if the Senate doesn't reauthorize it, all of that funding would go away? No, it doesn't. Um, If the Senate doesn't reauthorize it, what it means is it will get level funding Mm -hmm. and it won't get the corrections that we need. Right like now. the boyfriend loophole. That's right. Like the boyfriend loophole. And that's if expanded. a man is convicted of domestic violence, he can't own a gun? Or, or? a restraining order, mm-hmm. or if there's a pending criminal matter mm-hmm. and you're a boyfriend, yes, you can't own a gun. Okay. And it's critical that we clean that up. Mm-hmm. You're listening to my interview with Esta Solar of Futures Without Violence. We'll have more right after this. Welcome back. Here's more of my conversation with Esta Solar. And uh, your nonprofit, Futures Without Violence, mm-hmm. is uh, working to open a new museum in the Presidio called the we Courage are. Museum. We are. Um, so when you first told me about that, I thought a museum about violence didn't sound like the most fun way to spend <laughs> your day off. But tell right. me why you think this is an important thing to open and, and bring people into. Well, I, I just... Uh, 
want to say. I think that's an important question. Mm-hmm. So I, I thank you for that. Um, and also, full disclosure, I'm an optimist. Uh, my dad joined one club in his life, and it was the Optimist Club. So I answer <laughs> your question with that spirit. And Is here's there really what, an Optimist Club? There was. Wow. There was. I'm a little older than you are. So um, I don't know if it still exists, though I think it does, actually. I mean, I think it actually does. So we we know, and we've been doing this work for a very, very long time, um, that violence is learned. And if it's learned, it can be unlearned. Violence doesn't have to be part of the human condition. And when you embrace that idea and you bear witness to the problem, whether it's what's happening on our border or what happened to the Parkland kids, or a kid who's bullied in school, or a young woman like Chanel Miller who was raped. And you bear witness to it in all of its manifestations that we live with. And you know that you can rethink this, and you don't have to live with it, that we don't have to live with gun violence, and we don't have to live with sexual assault, and we don't have to live with domestic violence. And even if you look at what's going on in our streets and in, our, uh, in, in San Francisco and the number of women who are fleeing abusive relationships still, who are confronting homelessness, this problem is ever-present, mm-hmm. but so are the solutions. So our belief is if you bear witness to it, we want you to join us and go on the journey to rethink why this happens. And when you rethink why it happens, because of what happens early on in terms of people's homes and the trauma that they suffer, but also when you think about all the different cultural influences that we can influence and the policies that we can change. And if you rethink this and go on the journey, you think it's possible to change this. And we have evidence that you can change it. And you and I have spoken about this, Heather, where Mm -hmm. since the passage of the Violence Against Women Act, violence against adult women in the United States has gone down by over 60%. So not only am I an optimist, but I also have seen evidence that we can change it. And I think it's so important that people understand and put themselves in other stories Mm -hmm. of people who are confronting this so that they feel their own sense of empathy. And then they find their own place of courage. Mm -hmm. And that's how we got to the name. Because courage is about speaking up, whether it was, you know, to protest your reading group in first grade. (laughs) But more importantly, it's when Emma Gonzalez spoke Mm -hmm. up after the Parkland horrific shooting. Mm -hmm. Or when Chanel Miller just published this extraordinary book on what happened to her. I'm almost done with her book. It's so well written. um, She's amazing, just amazing. And and there are big acts of courage, and then there are the everyday acts of courage. Mm -hmm. And most of us are going to speak up with the everyday acts of courage. If you hear something in the hallway or at the dinner table, we want to give voice to that. So it's voice to... Activism, because that's who we are and that's who's in our and that's our DNA. But it's also the voice of, you know, that's not okay to say. Mm -hmm. And then we can really change the kind of world we live in, the kind of homes we live in, the kinds of communities we live in and schools we live in. And that's what this is all about. Now, yes, if you're going to, you know, ask me the hard question, which you did, why would somebody come here? Mm-hmm. I think we that's the job we're going to have to do. And that is you can participate in changing society, changing your school, your classroom, 
whether you're a teacher um, or a principal or a superintendent, you want to figure out what to do about gun violence. You want to figure out how not to have sexual assaults in your in your community, mm-hmm. and you want you don't want kids to be bullied. I mean, I often say, you know, you you have kids, I have kids. You send your kids to school to learn, to make friends, not to be isolated, mm-hmm. not to be hurt, not to be raped. Mm-hmm. That's our job. And we can do this. We can do this. And we're going to do it through storytelling. And we're going to do it through creative interaction um, so that we, we bring people to the place um, where they are like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can make a difference. And when do you think people will actually be able to go to this museum in the Presidio? 2021. Okay. We're really excited about it. Yes. Stay tuned. I was also reading up about you. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm in deep trouble. (laughs) And um, I saw that you had given a TED Talk in which you talked about how the Polaroid camera was instrumental in helping to um, lower the levels of domestic violence. Can you tell me about that connection? Absolutely. Uh, uh, Thanks for asking. I still have the Polaroid camera in my office, so come by. Okay. And uh, I don't know if it works anymore, so I'm not sure I can take your Polaroid. (laughs) The the issue for us early on was the problem was so invisible. Um, And, you know, people, people, uh, we we needed to record it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we actually had a partnership with Polaroid. Oh, wow. um, And put Polaroid cameras in hospitals across the country. And what we did was, with permission, we asked the women who were coming into the hospital, can we take your picture? Mm -hmm. And we did. And then if they wanted to go to court, they had the evidence they needed. Mm-hmm. For us, it was making what was invisible visible mm-hmm. uh, for the justice system, but also for the community. Because mm-hmm. uh, the injury would fade, mm-hmm. but it captured the pain. Wow. Very well said. Um, well, we have you survived the serious questions. And now oh, no. <laughs> it's time for the lightning round. Oh, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm in deep trouble. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? La Taqueria <laughs> on Mission. I love it. What's your favorite order? Um, well, I do the chicken with avocado and black beans. Sounds good. And then I have the mango drink. Okay. Got to have the drink. <laughs> what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Two. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire uh-huh. and the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh. Yeah, because they filmed it in the uh, public health department. Oh, they did? Yeah. That's wow. what I thought. And I worked there. <laughs> I'll have so, to look up. Yeah, I worked there. I've never there. seen that one. Yeah. I think that's the first time that's been cited on this podcast. Mrs. Doubtfire is a, oh, a okay. popular choice. But. Yes, want to be the first. <laughs> uh, what was your first concert? Can I say my first, um, my first concert? Do you remember? I don't. <laughs> I actually don't. I remember the one, one that I just saw uh-huh. a, a, a couple years ago that I really loved was um, – this is this is definitely an age uh, concert uh, answer, but it was Carol King and uh-huh. James Taylor oh, nice. in San Jose, and I love that. That sounds good. And I will think about what my first concert was. <laughs> I think it was a bad piano recital. <laughs> Where do you like to go for a stiff drink? Zuni. That's a good one. What is your order there? Uh, vodka with a twist of orange mm-hmm. and absolutely no vermouth. Okay. What was the last book you read? Where the Crawdads Sing. Mm. I really recommend it. Have you read it? No, it's been on my list. Oh, it's it. Pop it up. Okay. It's um, really great. Good. 
And lastly, what is something you always try to squeeze into your busy day? Oh, MSNBC. <laughs> that doesn't sound very relaxing. No, MSNBC. <laughs> no, it's not very relaxing at all, but it's MSNBC. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining thank me you. today. It was good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you to Esther Solar for joining me today, to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.